All right, church. We are going to be starting our series through Leviticus. Um, I just want to give like a, a brief background. I posted a, a video to my Facebook you guys can go and check out from the Bible Project. Um, if you don't have Facebook, you can just go to YouTube, type in Leviticus Bible Project. Um, they do a great job with uh, illustrations. They, they do um, a picture drawing through it all and explaining the historical context, the purpose of the book, and kind of work you through it in about nine minutes uh, for this book. Uh, it's an awesome video to watch, even if you're just listening to it, to get some of the history. Um, but very briefly, you're coming here into Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, um, and, and you're coming out of Exodus, Egypt. God's know about equity um, to the Egyptians and to Pharaoh and his people. And what you see in that, that story, right, is you have 400 years of captivity, and then God raises up Moses. He's got a, a crazy story himself, a wonderful testimony. You look at it. And he, he leaves Egypt. He leaves God's people, and God gives him this vision. He, he tells him to go back, and Moses says, I'm not a leader. But what's God say? I will use you to lead my people. I'm going to do this through you. And it's a great reminder there, and it shouldn't be neglected here, that God is using us in spite of our weakness, right, church? That if you feel inadequate to do something for the gospel, don't, right? If anything, when you know that you are weak, that is the best place to be as a Christian, to know that God is going to use that not to display your power, but rather his through you. So he does this with Moses. Moses goes back, and he, he starts this this. Um, uh, this revival for God's people to wake up and to go into the promised land that God had told his people about to go back to the land originally intended and that he had a plan for them. Through some plagues and, and whatnot, Pharaoh finally allows them to go. And as they are leaving Egypt, they are pursued by Pharaoh's people, the army. And God, this is the story where God splits the Red Sea. He lets his people pass through and the waters close back in on the enemies. As soon as they get there, what do they do? They immediately turn, and they're disgruntled with God, and it's as if they've just forgotten what just happened. And church, we are that kind of people. It is in our nature to um, look past the things that we've just witnessed God doing and to raise our fists at him, wondering where he is in that exact moment. You read the rest of Exodus, and you see Moses receives the law. He goes there at the, the foot of Mount Sinai. And that's where we're going to be here for the context. And he goes up and he receives the law and he comes back down. And what are they doing? They've already built for themselves an idol and they've already made for themselves another God. They've immediately broken these two commandments. And we see directly after that that, that God has a purpose for his people. He's showing his holiness and he's using Moses to call his people back to that holiness and back into the covenant relationship because God has established this covenant with his people and he wants them to pursue the relationship with him as he's pursued the relationship with them. He wants them to be holy as he, our God, is holy. So then you come in here to Leviticus and you pick up, and this is going to be a book about God trying to get his people back into his presence for God to be able to be back in their presence with them because God church desires a relationship with his people and what we see from Genesis to Revelation is that God has never given up on his eternal plan to save his people and Leviticus is that God is establishing a sacrificial system so that his people may be pure and holy and he may dwell in the midst of his people 
Now, really easily, uh, a quick reminder before we uh, read about uh, that we're ripping the, the pigeon's head off. It says they, they tore the head off, right? And you are like, oh, wow. Like, yes, this is what I said when I said that we, most people give up on this book. We read Genesis, Exodus, we're cruising along in our read the Bible in a year plan, and we hit Leviticus, and we're like, whoa, that's weird, Right? And you can say that, don't feel uh, wrong to say that it's weird. When we read that in our context, in our nature now, like we look back and we're like, that's kind of medieval. It was a sign and a symbol. And to farmers today, go back uh, where I'm from. You all know where I'm from. That's probably not unheard of in some uh, hollers where I live, uh, lived when I was a kid. I want to also touch on the importance real quick. If you all ever uh, get a chance, these... um, Commentaries are great, by the way. Uh, Christ-centered exposition. They've got them on nearly every book of the Bible uh, now. Uh, They did it when we first started our church, uh, so we haven't had them for every series. But they're great practical um, understanding and knowledge, uh, teaching within these books. They're very short, um, given the size, and they have uh, questions at the end of every chapter as well. But here are uh, some important things. It it talks about the importance of Leviticus, and there's five things, and I just want to read these to us before we read Leviticus chapter 1. It says, number one, Leviticus describes the entire religious system of ancient, ancient Israel. If we hope to understand how religion worked in Israel, we must understand the book of Leviticus. So this is important, right? These are reasons we should read and enjoy uh, the book of Leviticus. Um, one of the things that's not stated here, but uh, is something that we all understand, is it's God's word, so we should love it, should delight in it. Atoning work of number two, Leviticus provides the theological foundation for the atoning work of Christ. The idea of a substitutionary sacrifice receives its fullest um, uh, explanation in the book of Levit- uh, Leviticus. Number three, Leviticus demonstrates how important holiness is to God. Holiness, church, is the main theme of Leviticus, God's holiness and the holiness that God expects from us, his people. Holiness is still important to God, and God reminds his people of that crucial fact in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is a record of the words of God in direct speech with his servant Moses. The book opens with the statement, the Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him. The book states, uh, The book states 38 times that the Lord spoke to Moses and or Aaron. Also, 18 times the book records that the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron, and the people. Leviticus is important because it contains the very words of God in direct speech. Number five, and last. The New Testament frequently alludes to the contents of Leviticus. At numerous points, the New Testament writers seem to have assumed knowledge of Leviticus. And readers of the New Testament need this knowledge to understand what the writer was describing. For example, none of the following practices are explained uh, by the New Testament writers. Purification after childbirth, washing after healing of a leper, journeys to the festivals in Jerusalem, and separation from the Gentiles and eating. All these find their origin in the book of Leviticus. And these practices were so ingrained in the thinking of first century Jews that they the contents of the book of Leviticus. So if you wonder why are we going through this, uh, those are some great reasons. Um, and again, because it is the word of God and we don't neglect it. Uh, the easiest way I can put it is if I'm going to be around to go through the whole book of the Bible or the whole Bible itself, then at some point we're going to go through Leviticus, right? Amen, church? So if you all would, turn to Leviticus chapter 1 with me. If you have your scripture journals, that should be pretty easy. But even your Bibles, it's the third book. Come here to the burnt offerings. Verse 1 says this. 
The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When, anyone bring, uh, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar, that is, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. He shall cut it into pieces, and with its head and its fat, and the priests shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water, and the priests shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar it is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to, uh, to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall offer, bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons, and the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with, uh, with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in its place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That's God's word for us this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, we, we uh, praise you um, as we look to this book. Uh, we ask for understanding this morning. And Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of the practical application today, even from this book, which we often neglect and ignore. But God, may for teaching, uh, for rebuking, for correction, um, and for your glory. So God, lead us in this time, and we praise you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so our uh, points this morning is that God is holy, God is active with his people, and God is provider for his people. So God is holy, God is active with his people, and God is provider for his people. Point number one, God is holy. So this is absolutely crucial for us to understand. Um, it's something that we, we can't exhaust, um, even if we dive into it week in and week out, is the holiness of God. And here you, you come to this point that you need to, to have this understanding is because God is wanting to be in the midst of his people, right? Uh, we see that even the plan for the outpouring of the Spirit, that uh, God would now in the new covenant dwell inside of all of those who believe, um, happened um, at Pentecost when God poured out his Spirit, um, and now his Spirit at the moment of faith now lives inside of each and every one of you all who has repented and believed in the gospel. So that was God's plan all along, that he wanted to dwell with us in church. One day we will be in his physical presence in heaven. Once we've been redeemed, we receive our glorified bodies. We've died and gone away, or he's come 
come uh, back. But we will one day see that in its fullest. But here on earth, that is the, what, what God has been longing for and desiring to get back to that moment of the garden all over again. That we could be enjoying his creation without sin, without sorrow, and to be in the presence of our holy creator. So to be holy, that means God is set apart. We are to, as Christians, to be set apart. That means to be different, to be unique from the world. But there's none other when we talk about God's holiness. There's none like him. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's none like him. We can't even fathom or wrap our head around the, the, the entirety of God's holiness because there is none like him. How can the, the finite mind understand the infinite God? None like him. 1 Samuel 2.2, 2, what is written here? There's none holy like the Lord. For there's none beside you, and there is no rock like our God. Church, there's, there's no one. There's no foundation like God. There's no one holy like God. And there's no one that we can look to, no idol we could build, calf we could have at the bottom of Mount Sinai, no, no altar we could build out for a false God that would bring the hope and bring salvation like the Lord of all creation. Amen? Amen. And, and when we begin to lay this foundation of God's holiness, we can begin to approach Leviticus with this understanding that, that all these, these weird offerings that seem so weird because they are at a distant memory now, something that we'll never have to experience because Christ did it for us, it had a purpose. And it has application today because God is, is wanting to dwell with his people. And to those who have the spirit living inside of them, though he's dwelling in you, you can to yield presence in your life. That means when conviction arises, don't suppress it down, but rather work it out for the sanctification of your souls. That when we see God's holiness, church, we would not run away from, but we would run to the cross of Christ. That when we, when we look and we see the symbol that means a lot to us and not blood on the altars, when we see the cross, that we would be reminded of the blood of Jesus that was spilled out as that of these offerings on the sides of the altar. The whole point of Leviticus is because God is, is wanting to dwell with his people, to, to be a part of their lives and for them to worship and glorify him with every bit of their being. Consider where we're going to be um, here in, in like three years. Leviticus 19.2 says this. It says, and this is a verse we're familiar, from, uh, familiar with from even Peter when he says and quotes these words, because Leviticus is quoted a lot. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, church, uh, read this with me. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So God's call for his people is not to go out and atone for their sins, but rather look to the sacrifice of Christ and have a right heart for God, that we would have a heart inclined for God and his holiness, and that when our heart is inclined to the holiness of God, that the holiness of God may be shown through our actions, but be through our deeds. And all of these offerings, they're going to point to the one who would be the offering, the perfect Lamb of God. Consider what John says. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. You see, John understood that all of this sacrificial system pointed to the sacrifice of Christ. 
So God is displaying his holiness, but he's calling us, his people whom he's redeemed, into his holiness and into a holy way of living. See, the, the two cannot be separated is that of faith and holiness. Faith is what saves you, but faith produces holiness. So if we are going to claim the holy Lord of all creation as our God, as our Savior, as our friend, then we must display it through our deeds. And that's what these offerings were. And I need to make that very clear before we get into this. And three weeks later, you all are wanting uh, lambs to be brought in and slain here at the altar. We're not going there. But what we're doing is looking at Leviticus through the lens of Jesus and seeing that every bit of God's word from beginning to end is pointed to Jesus. That's why we say we live in a Christocentric world. That's a Christ-centered world. That everything before him pointed to him and everything after him looked back at what he accomplished. Yes, church, we long for the day of his return. But if you don't remember his first coming, then you won't want to know his second coming. For after the heart of his people, that the heart of his people may be inclined to him. So we have to understand his holiness first and foremost. Then very quickly, right after that, you see that God, point number two, is active with his people. We don't have a God who is disconnected. That's what separates us from a lot of, of atheists, agnostics, um, other religions, is that we have a God who did not just make creation and then separate himself to see how it would work out, right? But we have a God who engaged and interacted. See, that, that kind of thing wouldn't work out. If God separated himself, this church, the, the world would not sustain itself. It would die. It would fade away. For we know from the word of God that, that God is sustaining all of creation by the word of his power. There was some uh, really, really sick psychological test, um, and I can't remember it, um, but I had a, a friend. He was like, man, I, I wonder if babies would be able to, uh, my friend didn't put this on. My friend had this theory, and then I like, looked it up, and it, it happened uh, to make it very clear. Um, but he told me, he said, I was just thinking uh, if babies ended up on an island, like newborn babies, what language would they speak? And I was like, I don't know. Like, that's a great question, but I'm sure that the answer is pretty simple. They would come up with sounds. They would figure it out together how to communicate with one another. Well, lo and behold, my wife already knew about this study that was actually, had actually take, uh, taken place, and it was these, these babies. They had a, um, a woman come in and take care of them needed, uh, but she would not talk or engage with them. She just gave them the basic essentials that they needed. They didn't communicate with them. It was the basic essentials that they needed. Food, water, change your diaper, moving on. You know what happened to those babies? They didn't make it. And us spiritually, church, we cannot make it if we do not have a God who is not sustaining all of the world. Everything would fade away. We could have crops produce some fruit, but at the end of the day, without a God of the universe sustaining it, the creator of all things, we have nothing. So we have a God who is active and, and sustaining the world. He's active with, with um, non-believers. He's showing them uh, a means of grace by providing food for them, jobs to pro provide that food. And then there's saving grace where God is active with his covenant people in a salvific way where he wants to dwell in their midst and be with them and for them to be holy as he, our God, is holy. 
So here we come to uh, the first two verses. You see the Lord called Moses. So he's actively speaking to Moses. And what he tells him to do is from the tent of meeting. So this is like the tabernacle, right, at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai. Uh, you have this, this place where God's dwelling was going to be. And he says, say to them, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. So God is of God may hear the word of God. So we have Moses being prophetic. We have Moses being priestly. Prophetic in that he's speaking the word of God. Priestly in that he's representing the people of God and God to the people of God. Do not miss by those very basic verses, right? Okay, he spoke to Moses. Church, that is a huge deal that God wants to have a relationship with his covenant people and not just disengage from his people. I mean, could you imagine in our sinful nature, if you created something and they just messed it all up, how you may react, because I know how I would react, is just start over, Right? My wife hates when I go to Home Depot trip after trip and says, can you just figure out the plan before you get started? Be more like Dan and be more like Nelson with your woodworking projects, right? I mean, it's true. I just, I, I don't think about, I'm just like, I mean, I can put a, a little bit more money, we'll just restart, right? No, but God, who could, could have just done it all again, no money, no time lost, like just, it, didn't, it doesn't matter to God about time. Uh, things don't necessarily matter to God in that he has to be connected or he needs them. He's God. He can create anything. But he never gave up on his people. In spite of our sin, in spite of their sin, church, God is still after his people. And if that's something you're like, I already know that, well, then how are you showing that? How are we showing God that we understand the riches of his grace that while we were still sinning, Christ died? Praise be to God that he is active in pursuing his people in a relationship. That, that when Moses goes back down and they've already broken the first two commandments that, that they just received, that God didn't just say, you know what, I'm done. No, rather, consider going back to Genesis 6-5. This is pre-flood, and it says in Genesis 6-5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every, church, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now consider that. We're, we're post-flood. We've been given the promise. Reminded of the promise a lot. And you see that that is actually our hearts. That every intention of our thoughts, of our heart, is only evil continually, church without Christ. That every bit of our being, even when we do that, what, what looks outwardly good, if it does not have inwardly good intention to the praise and glory of Christ, then it is useless. That sounds so mean. But consider even last week what we talked about, that our purpose, we were created male and female for the glory of God, that we may bear his image and bear his likeness and that we would praise him for his creation and that church people would, of our inside, that which people don't see, should be inclined to Christ our Lord. And then you see 
post-flood, what God says in Genesis 8, verses 20 through 22. So this is coming off the ark. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. This was before this command and Leviticus, and, um, and Noah's already doing it, is making these offerings, these sacrifices of animals to the Lord. And you even go back and you see even in, in Genesis, uh, um, right after the fall of Genesis 3, that God made a sacrifice and clothed them with the skin of animals. But here, he says, for the intention, I will never again curse the ground because of Man, so we have this promise, church, that the, the earth is never going to be flooded. Why? Because God knows that we're going to go back to pre-flood in our behavior, that Noah's going to raise up um, some babies that are, that are going to be evil, pagan people that never want to praise their perfect Savior. And he says, never again will I do this. This is your promise. Because I know that the intention of man's heart, every bit of it is evil. But never again will I do this. Never again will I flood the earth. Church, that is grace upon grace. And praise be to God. Because he knows the intention of man's heart. And that he still pursues us. Grace upon grace. That he could have just wiped it out. Clean slate. Not only did he not, Noah found favor with him. But he said he would never do it again. We got a, a dog last year in, in January, and it was like March, maybe February, probably early on January, honestly, that our dog would just start going nuts at like 6 p.m. in the evening. And I was like, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm calling the Amish and giving this dog back, right? Like, they can have him. He's crazy at 6 o'clock every single day. And I'm like, well, I'm a millennial. Let me use my phone and, and, and type in. I'm sure that someone's got a dog that's acting crazy, Maybe it's rabies. Who knows? So I like open up my phone, Google, crazy puppy, every evening. And my wife, about the same time, Aubrey, she says, it's called witching hour. And I was like, witching hour? And she's like, yeah, it's just like babies. When they get overly exhausted and they need a nap, they didn't get enough sleep, but then they get a little bit overwhelming. And with my children, that's fine. It's like, you're a baby and you're cute. With my dog, I'm like, if you run into one more thing, I'm going to lose it. You're going back. And I'm reminded of that here, church, that, that God with us knows our intentions. I, I had to find out that that's what dogs do. It's in their nature, right? As a puppy, that's what they're going to do in the evenings. It's called witching hour. It has a, Aubrey told me to name it that. Where, am I right, Nelson? Where are you at? Uh, Corey's not in her head. It's witching hour. Yeah, it's evil, right? Like, it's a terrible hour. But after I learned that, I better understood how I needed to deal with my dog. Guess what? God created us. He knows the intentions of our heart, not just uh, our deeds outwardly, but he knows the intention behind those. He knows every evil thought that we've had that we've never pursued outwardly, and he knows those things. And he says, I will never do this again to the earth because he's active and pursuing a relationship with his people. He showed and continues to show us, church, his grace by being so patient slow to anger, being perfectly righteous and just in all of his moves. Gracious, when he could just end it and bring us into judgment. 
casts us away forever, but he doesn't. No. On the contrary, point number three, God provides for his people. So you're going to look at these sacrifices, and it, it needs to be noted that God has provided these sacrifices for them. He tells them to bring it. Uh, church, we talk about tithes and offerings. We rarely even talk about that. But when you're tithing, when you're giving, do you realize you're not giving God what you have or what you earn, but rather what God already gave to you, right? I'm not going to get into percentages this morning. I just want to talk about our heart behind our offerings. When we look at our possessions, do we praise God that he's given us those to possess and to care for and, and to use to his glory to serve others with its possessions? Or do we look at them as if they are just ours and something that we've attained and earned on our own? He provides the offering. What you're going to see here in the, the burnt offerings, we're going to have offerings for um, a few weeks anyways. Uh, but this one is the, the burnt offering. It's a, it's a way of atonement. Um, and, and making things right with God. The burnt offering specifically could have been brought by any believer of the covenant community at any point in time. Every now and then you'll read about a call for people to bring burnt offerings. But anybody, if you showed up and you're like, man, just rough week. I'm going to bring this offering to God, offer it up to him so that I may be made right with God. Also to be noted, notice, there's a heart change and an action application. That if they were going to do that, they were saying, I'm not right with God. That's a heart thing. I want to be right with God. Church, at the moment that that happens, it was the heart that, that mattered, and it was the, uh, the practice that applied and showed people that which lived inside of you at this time. So they would bring these, these burnt offerings, and it would be livestock. It would be from their herd or from the flock. This is important, too, because it wasn't a wild animal, okay? You couldn't be, like, in, in West Virginia, there was, like, a law where you could pick up roadkill. If it was, like, killed within so long, you could take it home and eat it, right? You couldn't be on your way to the tent of meeting and be like, yo, look at it, like, oh, he's good, you know? You can't do that. And the reason being is if it's your livestock, if it's from your herd, it's your animal, guess what you have invested in that? Time and money, and you know what? That hurts when you have to, it hurts when you give it away. That's what's called a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice if you're just cool with it all the time. Sacrifice is giving something up. So God is calling for his people to give something up and, and not a wild animal and not a hurt one. It says without blemish, a male without blemish, bring me your best one. You think like that's crazy. Church, that's sacrifice. I've said this before, when, when it comes to tithing or, or giving to the church, when it time or money or resources, consider to yourself, what do you have the most? And you'll probably be giving most of that away. If you've got a lot of money, then it's easy to give money away. You don't think about it, right? So the challenge there would be, well, what would you have to give for you to think about it, Right? And some of you all maybe have walked in this morning, you already dropped an envelope in, and my question would be, did you pray about that before you gave? Did you pray that God would bless it, that he would use it for our good and for his glory, and that he would multiply it? If you haven't, consider that. I'm not asking for more. I'm just saying when it comes to offerings, do we do these kind of things? Does it hurt? When it comes to resources and things that you have, if you're going to give them to the church to be used, do you consider or think about... Um, 
all the wear and tear that's going to a ton of time but no money. Hey, I'm willing to eat that for the glory of God. If it comes to time, maybe you have a ton of time but no money. Maybe you should consider your giving financially too. See, sacrifice, it hurts. The sacrifice of Christ hurt. Not only physically, but spiritually. Christ in the garden, what did he pray? If this cup could pass from me, Father, let it pass, but not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. So not a wild animal, but one without blemish. One from their herd or from their flock. I want to read um, Hebrews real quick. 9.22. Uh, Dennis, you're good. That's not back there in case you're like already like looking around real quick. Hebrews uh, 9.22 says this. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's important for us to understand, too, because you may be asking yourself, why, why, why is it like all this blood in Leviticus? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's, church, why we needed Jesus to come and to be our eternal sacrifice and not our temporal sacrifice. Verse number four, if you look at that with me. So what you're going to see with these offerings, you see the herd, the flock. Um, so you have bulls, goats, the land, right? Or you have birds uh, in verse 14 and on. And that really goes in a financial system kind of thing. Herd and flock, uh, herds, you could kind of have any male bring it. Then 14, it's, scholars have agreed that this has to do with a financial thing. If you couldn't afford a bull, uh, then you would bring a bird. They were much cheaper to buy or to get, and you would bring that one. Birds also, you'll notice that they didn't have the whole skinning technique. Just ring off the head and then do it that way. It's a much smaller body, right? My, my grandfather always told me you don't hunt a squirrel with a rifle. You'll blow it to pieces. They're smaller, right? That's just it. Grammy gets it. Yeah, I've heard of that's a, my West Virginia Grammy, right? Amen. Amen. You're know, like, this guy's crazy. Yeah, Leviticus is going to bring the camo out in me. You better believe it. Verse number four, you see it says, He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, right? And it shall be accepted for him to make what church? Atonement for him, right? So you have this, this symbolic laying on of hands and what that represented if you were bringing an offering, what it would do was represent you and that animal and the animal and you that the animal is being sacrificed for your sins and he's taking it on symbolically. Very important. That in the death of that animal represented the death of you spiritually. Okay, everybody following? That's what that purpose was in laying the hand on. And church, we look to Christ for our righteousness, that Christ on the cross took on your sin, took on my sin. That's what we talk about. Our sin was imputed to him. That means he took it on as if it was his and his righteousness, church, was imputed to you. As like if the father were to look at you, he sees not your sinfulness, but he knows about it. Don't forget that. But he sees the righteousness of Christ. So this was symbolic in the animal taking on the death that we deserved. The laying on of hands. And then it says the atonement. Uh, the uh, Hebrew word here would also mean like to cover. Uh, they've kind of gotten away from saying to cover. Um, atone, to like pay for. Jesus pays for our sin. The debt has been paid. Um, a more practical uh, wording here would be to cover, right? There's a sense of, of covering, right? To not pay, but to cover, 
Last night, um, I was going to bed late. How many of you all go to bed later than your spouse? Anybody? Trying to figure it out. I think it's mostly guys. Oh, and then Becca, yeah. But you got, a, you got that late and, and different schedule anyway. So mostly guys, I've noticed, and I was hanging out, and I was reading, um, getting things done, watching useless videos, right, and just like, oh, comedy, comedy, comedy. I'm like, oh, it's 12 o'clock. I ought to go to bed. Aubrey's been to bed for like eight hours now. So going to bed, and I get in, and she's laying in my spot, and I'm like, great, right? Like, at least she's like closer to the door this time in case someone intrudes. Um, so... I like climb over her and I get in and I like try and pull the sheet over and it like just barely covered like above my thigh, uh, like hip to like mid thigh and I'm like, great. And like I tried to tug and you know, like when you feel the weight of your spouse and you're like, not getting that tonight. Like just, I can't not get the blanket out. Uh, it was a little chilly. I put the, the air way down because I love it cold. And I was like, man, I just got to deal with it. But if you saw me, you'd say, he needs to be covered, covered, right? If he wants a good night's sleep, and amen, if you all see Aubrey, let her know to leave me some room and some blanket coverage because all it was was temporal coverage, right? I had my shorts, and my shorts would have been good enough. It covered the same amount with my shorts as the blanket. And I remember laying there thinking about this passage, and I'm like, this is the same kind of atonement where it's just temporal. It's not sufficient. It doesn't cover at all, but it temporarily covers for the moment. And the same was to be said about these sacrifices. I'm not going to break down every verse uh, this morning. This was a burnt offering. They would go, and if their hearts were in the right place, they would repent. And that was in their repentance as, as bringing this animal forth to be a sacrifice, a, a symbol of atonement, covering of their sins, so that they may be right with the holy God and be holy, church, as he is holy. That was the point of these. And the burning had to do with consumption, that they were consumed. Their sin was consumed in this sacrifice, and the smell was this burnt offering that was pleasing to God. When he smelled it, he knew the hearts of his people that sacrifices were made because they too wanted to be holy as our Lord is holy. But it cannot be forgotten. Band, you can go ahead and come back up. Hebrews 10. If you want to read Hebrews like along with Leviticus, that would be great. Like read it just in your personal study and devotion because Hebrews doesn't have an author. We think we know why there was no signing off of like, hey, this is Paul because Paul would have been killed because he went back on the sacrificial system and said all of it was in vain if you were not looking to Christ. And even this, Hebrews 10, 26. I'll go back to 25. Hebrews 10, 25 and 26. I was in nine. That's why. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there are, no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And then he goes on, church, in, in Hebrews, talking about how the sacrifices, church, were not desired by God. In uh, chapter 10, verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings, we say this every time we take communion, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Church, these were temporal, and they never paid for anybody's sins. 
The author of Hebrews made it clear, and church Genesis to Revelation makes it clear. The practical application here today, church, is where is your heart? Do we understand that God has provided for his people? Do we understand that he's active and pursuing a relationship? All you have to do is do we understand his holy and see that he is holy? That only God could have gone up on the cross to take the sins of the world so that those who repent and believe may have eternal life. Only God could do that and overcome it. He was raised from the dead and he pursued his people with the outpouring of his spirit. Actively pursuing his people. He showed his holiness and he showed his provision that on the cross he took on our sins so that we may have life. Praise be to God, right? If not for that, we'd be having a service this morning with ringing off on pigeon's heads and all kinds of Levitical laws. But all of that was a foreshadow of the one to come, Jesus Christ. So if you're not a believer here today, don't worry. You don't need to go home and do any of this stuff you've read in chapter 1. But rather, right now, what you can do is repent of your sins. That means to turn away from them and call on God to save you from your, uh, yourself. Repent, turn away, and believe on Christ. To those of you who have believed in Jesus, consider your sacrifice this week. What are we sacrificing? Is it our time, money, resources? And truthfully, church, the answer should be all three. In some way, shape, or form, it doesn't matter if it's a penny, right? When you look at the poor woman uh, with Jesus that she gave the penny and the rich man gave all kinds of money, but she gave all that she had, and that was pleasing to God. Does God smell the, the aroma, right? You even look at Jesus' death, and it talks about the aroma as a burnt offering, that it pleased, it satisfied the wrath of God. Is God satisfied with our life in Christ? Have we trusted in him, and are we living for him? Because all of this book is going to point to them not only believing, but being holy as he, our God, is holy. Are we representing him in deed and with word? Or are we representing the kingdom which he saved us from? Church, go ahead and stand. We're going to wrap up this morning. Guess where we're going to be next week? Leviticus 2. We're talking about grain offerings next week, so no real death there except for to the gluten. Church, I want to pray for us and, and uh, wrap up our time and prepare just for one last song. But, man, this is a beautiful book. And I, I pray that you all go away this week and just keep looking at chapter 1. And if you have questions, and I'm sure you do, you can send them into newhilloh.com forward slash ask. Send in those questions, and I'll address them uh, however I can, blog or podcast. But this is a beautiful book, and it's even more beautiful when you understand that Jesus came to fulfill it so that we can live in him and be what Paul says in Romans 12, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we've had together. And Lord, I pray that you would just remind us of your word uh, this week. God, I pray every detail would not slip from our mind. God, that we would remember these burnt offerings. And though we don't bring you these offerings, we don't bring bulls or goats or pigeons to you. First, we praise God in our sin. But Christ Jesus, you've paid for our sin. You've paid that debt. And may we read this chapter and be reminded of the sacrifice of our Lord. And may we go out and exalt the name of Jesus in word and deed so that people may see you and stop trying to earn their salvation or be good, which no one can do to get to heaven, but rest in the finished work of Christ. 
Father God, we pray for the offering this morning. God, that you would bless it, you would multiply it, use it for our good and for your glory. God, be with the saints as we go out to put Jesus in the perspective. And to those who are missing, bless them and keep them, keep them safe. And those we haven't met yet, God, open that door, soften those hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.